Children's Church and uh, experience God in a special way uh, together. Uh, as uh, Brandon was sharing about, uh, this is a church of worship. Uh, I'll just kind of piggyback on that. You know, worship uh, is that which produces service, and service is that which portrays worship. Uh, we have a verse for the month. It's found in Romans 12.1, and I don't know if the slide people can throw up Romans 12.1 on the screen there. Are you listening to me, Caleb? Um, but Romans 12.1 says, I, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable, which is your reasonable service. And I was talking to some people just this week, and they were wondering, well, what in the world does that mean? Well, uh, yeah, that word proceeds really means plead or urge. And this is the Apostle Paul after uh, he's been ministering in the church at Rome, just begging him to get it. You know, if you come to church, it's not just to hear things or even to experience things, but to really get it what God is trying to say to us. And so, so Paul says, I beseech you, therefore. And, and the word therefore is always, and when you hear, read that word or hear that word, you always ask yourself the question, what's the therefore? Therefore, and what that's all about is all the things he's already written in chapters 1 through 11. Before chapters 12, there's chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 11. And, and as you think about that, in that those 11 chapters, he's telling them all the great things God is and has done for them. And so when we think about doing anything for God, it's always when we realize how much God has already done for us. I beseech you, I plead with you, therefore, because of God's goodness, by the mercies of God, that you do something. And what is it God wants us to do? He wants us to present ourselves to Him. And what does He want us to do presenting ourselves to Him? He wants to present all who we are. And wherever we go on this planet, our bodies go with us. I present your bodies a sacrifice. But unlike the sacrifices in the Old Testament, not dead sacrifices, He wants what kind of sacrifices? Living sacrifice. So every day that we live, we need to recognize that we are putting ourselves on the altar for God. Am I speaking fast enough? On the altar of God. Because this is before the sermon. i got a lot of things to say already. To put our lives in the altar of God that we want to live for Him. Now, for some of us, we might have the opportunity to die for Him. But very few of us probably will have that opportunity. But we'll have the opportunity to live for Him. And the reason we live for Him is, is because of all the good things God has done for us. And then as He puts that all together, He says, I want you to understand, this is what is holy to God. This is what is, is special in His eyes. This is what is set apart for you. And when you wonder, what kind of a grade am I getting from God as I live my life? Well, you want to get an acceptable grade. An acceptable grade from God is simply giving yourself fully and totally to Him. Worship, in fact, we're going to try to be emphasizing worship throughout the year of 2014. Worship is, is giving ourselves fully and completely to Him. It's surrendering to Him and then living for Him. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable. And just in case you're wondering, well, is this really something I should do? This is reasonable. This makes sense. If God has done all this for us, why would we want to give ourselves completely and fully to Him? This is reasonable. It's just reasonable service. Some, some translations say the reasonable service of worship. Service and worship is put together. So as we live lives that, that, that are lived in such a way, if, if you're a Christ follower this this morning, it's for the purpose of people being able to see Christ in you. And when we do it collectively, it's for people to see Christ in us, the church. And then where we live in our homes is for people to see Christ in our homes. And this is what it means to live a life of worship in which we, we value, we honor God, we, we see Him as the supreme one in our life. He's the center of who we are. 
And when he's at the center, then, then, then people can see Christ in us. And then we manifest, we, we publicize who God is by how we live. And then when we mess up, we just admit it, and then we move on again to try to magnify who God is by living lives that are acceptable to him, by giving ourselves completely and fully to him. Did you get all that? That's going to be on the test. So anyway, all right, let's pray one more time, and then I'll center my mind uh, on the message we have for today. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your, um, your mercies, your goodness, your grace, all the things you do for us. Help us to live lives that, that are centered upon you so that people can see Jesus in us. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the, the message title this morning is Seeing Christ at Home. And now we're going to look at particularly the kids and the parents. And what we've already seen as we've been focusing on the home is that there's a role or a major role for the men and a major role for the women. And uh, in the many ways, they kind of come together in a variety of different ways. But the man's role particularly is to lead well in the home. Everything rises and falls on leadership. And, and people have to have a responsibility if things are going to go in a certain direction. And God has said to the, the man, and I had some men that, that when I preached that message say, well, you're too hard on the men. And I said, just man up, quit crying. All right? But anyway, men are responsible for the home. And when things are going wrong, the buck stops with us. That we need to be living in such a way, in a sacrificial, servant way, that we are leading people for their good. But for the, the women, uh, you know, men, uh, ha- have, uh, we have uh, very weak egos. And so, we, we, you know, sometimes we don't feel too good about ourselves. So, so you need to respect us. You, you, you need to honor us. You, you need to, if, if we don't do too well as, as people, at least our position, and see that the, the response that we have is, can, can be a weighty response. And then you want to do everything you can to encourage us. And, and, you know, good followers make good leaders. And, and so you want to, in those ways that, that are, are God-honoring, to follow us in ways that will encourage us to be the kind of leader God wants us to be. But there's some other critters a lot of times that get in homes, and those are those little ones, the, the kids or the children. So, so Paul says, I want everything to work in such a way that people can see Christ in the homes. And so this morning, uh, we're, we're going to be looking at it. Before we do that, and as you know, a lot of times my introductions are as long as my messages. I, I just could not resist the temptation this week to say, as we think about seeing Christ in our lives, if, if we just look at the, the principles in God's words as some things on our to-do list to do, we'll miss the point. Now, now God's wise counsel to us, his instruction to us, works whether we're believers or not. But we can't live it out fully and completely unless we are Christ followers. And then even if we're Christ followers, if we don't understand what it really means to, to live the Christian life, we won't get it and we won't do it. And so I want to take a, a step back just for a moment. I've got four points. I only have four points this morning uh, with a little detail in between. All right. Uh, but I, I really think here are some things we need, particularly as we think about the message of Paul to the church at Ephesus. There, there are some things I would say for all of us we need to remember daily. You know, some of us take a, you know, uh, uh, a multivitamin once a day, you know, and hopefully it's supposed to cure all things, you know. There are certain things you got to do every day. You got to brush your teeth. Uh, you got to put on some deodorant, whatever it might be. You got to clean up a little bit. What, what, are, what are some things you got to do spiritually every day? You, know, you don't skip a day on these kind of things. Well, we're going to look at that this morning in the first three uh, truths I want to share with you. And then we're going to center on about the specific instruction God has for kids 
and parents in the home. Uh, the fir- first of all is what God wants us to remember daily is our position, or put it in the second person plural, your position. G- God wants you to know your position if you're in Christ. And he's speaking here to Christ followers. Now, if you've come this morning and you're just on the outside looking in, we are excited that you're here. And we hope in the midst of all that we do that you say, I, I want what they have. But what God is saying to us, and and this is the emphasis in in Ephesians, is you need to know your position. And and I want to put it as simply as possible. What is your position? It's understand what what is a Christian. And and in your outline this morning, I put it this way. Number one, you are in Christ. That's the predominant theme in the book of of Ephesians, as well as many of the letters Paul wrote. I want you to understand that you're, you're in Christ. You know, you can, you can know a lot about people by just, you know, what they're into. Can you agree with that? You know, some people are really into sports. Some people are really into food. Some people are really into all kinds of things. Uh, we need to understand that what, when we become a Christ follower, primarily God describes us as people who are really in Christ. We're into His agenda, not our own. We're into what He wants, not what we want. We're into His kingdom, not our own kingdom. And uh, Paul put it this way in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father. And we just sang about being blessed. God is blessed. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. This is what God has done. He's placed us in his uh, kingdom, in his agenda, in his program. And if we go throughout thinking and evaluating life about what's happening to us, we miss it. It's not about us. It's about him. Now, the part that uh, somehow I forgot to put in there, the other side of that coin is, is, is that you are in Christ, but Christ also is in you. In um, Ephesians 3.17, it says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love. So if you're taking notes, write that little phrase, Christ in you. And let me put it this way, theologically or even just looking at who Jesus is. This is understanding that when you become a Christ follower, your position begins this way. You recognize that Jesus is Lord. That's what it means when you say you are in Christ. He's the one governing, leading, directing my life. And if that's not true, you haven't gotten to first base. We are in Christ. It's his plan. If any man come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. Jesus is Lord. The other side of it, where Christ is in you, that's Jesus is Savior. Because quite frankly, we can't follow him. We are incapable of following him unless he rescues us. That we need to recognize that he came to save us from our sins. And, and, and we invite him into our lives so that we have the power and the ability to follow him. The Christian life isn't difficult. It's impossible unless Christ is in you, empowering you and living in you. And, and when we understand that, our position, then our whole life takes on a new identity. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. And so we don't go through life and say, well, the way I am the way I am is because that's the way I always was. And I think that's all, all I will be or, or because of what has happened to me or what I think might happen to me. No, no, you're a new creature. Everything is new. All, all things have become new. And so because we're in Christ and Christ in us, our whole life is different. And we wake up with an identity saying, 
God has something for me to do and to be. Know your position. Secondly, know your purpose. And, and I'm taking all these verses from Ephesians, though we could take them throughout the whole New Testament. Uh, it is simply to live for God's glory. And we talked about that already in Romans 12.1. It's to live for God's glory. In Ephesians 3.21, in that prayer of the Apostle Paul, in the middle of this book, he says, To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. And so as we go through life, and often we go through life thinking that, that no one really cares about our life and how much we're doing or not doing, and, and we, we don't get the credit we deserve, and, and it really doesn't matter, does it? Because we live for his glory. We're, we're more concerned about what people think of Jesus than, what we, than what they think of us. Now, that's easy to say, but it's not easy to live out, isn't it? Because we are, we are extremely self-conscious. And, and God wants us to know we should not be self-conscious, but we ought to be who conscious? God conscious that we are living for his glory, for his reputation. And then secondly, we need to realize if, we're, if we have, understand our purpose, we are to be like God. In Ephesians 3, 1, it says this. Therefore, be imitators of God as your children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. There ought, to be a, there ought to be an aroma about us that we've been with Jesus. And if you look at the book of Acts, I'm not speaking too fast, am I? No, okay, you're here. You, you've learned to listen fast, right? Is that in Acts, you know, as they looked at these, these peasant Jewish people that, that were known as somehow connected to Jesus, and they were, they were, how can they be this way? They're not learned. They haven't been trained. Have, there isn't anything special about them. And then the only thing they could recognize is they had been with who? With Jesus. And because they had been with Jesus, they, became, they started to become like Jesus. And see, that ought to be the product of our life. And that's the, that's the ongoing journey as we go through life. I want to give God the glory, and I want to become more like Jesus. That's our purpose. And then we realize, well, what did Jesus do? Jesus came not to, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And I hope as we approach Easter, you're, you're praying for people that you know that don't know Christ. And you're, you're, your passion is, I want to bring them to Easter. Because that's, cause I want to be like Christ because Jesus was seeking those who were lost. And also to understand that Jesus came not to be served, but to, to serve. I was uh, at the work day. Uh, Noel came and, 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 and Ryan and Sierra, and, and we were doing some work together. And she said, hey, did, did you hear about the, the T-shirts? I that, that was at a conference I was speaking at. She's got a lot of kinds of gifts and talents. And, and so she, uh, she said, yeah, we have these T-shirts. And I gave them the gifts. And, and she said, on, on the front part of it, it said, I deserve to be happy. And I'm thinking, oh. She's been to our church that many times, and she still doesn't get it. Now, you know, being the kind and gentle person I, I am, I was trying to think, what, what, can I, what can I say to Noelle, what, you know, to not affirm what she just told me about the shirt she was so excited about, and yet she doesn't quite get it. I deserve to be happy. Where did she learn that, you know? And, um, and then she said, but then on the other side of the shirt, it says, I served to be happy. You see, see how just changing or taking off two letters, you know, take off the D-E and then it's left with serve. And, and see, that, that's, that's being like Jesus, not going through life. I deserve to be happy, but I serve to be happy. And, and see, as we understand seeing Christ in our home, we, gotta, we need to remind ourselves of our position. We're in Christ and Christ in is us. And what's our purpose? To, to lift God's glory and to be more like God, to be more like Christ. But thirdly, we need to understand, uh, where's our power? What's our resource to get this done? And, and, and again, that is crucial. And Paul 
emphasizes this in his letter to the church at Ephesus. In Ephesians 5.18, it talks about we can be made strong by God and the Holy Spirit. And do not get drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And I picked that verse because that, that talks about that surrendering the Spirit who lives within us and saying, I want to be under His influence and not anyone else's or anything else's. I want Him to be in control. I want Him to be in charge. And, and that's a willful choice. Okay, who's in charge right now? Is it the Spirit or is it my own, own flesh? Is it my own desires? I, I like to write down another verse, though. I, I should have put this one. Ephesians 3.16. Paul, in his prayer there, he said that he would grant you, this is God, as we pray unto God the Father, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might or power through the Spirit in the inner man. And that probably even puts it better. Do you ever feel weak? Do you ever feel incapable? Do you ever feel like something's missing, that, that you're, you're just not able to do what you know God wants you to do? Well, that's a good place to be in because if you're not in that place, you will rely upon your own strength. So when you feel uh, a little bit um, insufficient, that's all right. Because that should drive you to say, God, you've got to take control because I can't do this on my own. And so Paul prayed for this church who, who had heard all the riches of their position in Christ. I would pray that you might understand that you can you can be enriched with the strength and the might of Almighty God through His Spirit, where in the inner man. So we need to go through life being made strong in the Spirit. But I want to add another aspect of this. Now, because, you know, if you talk to people who, who, uh, who, who kind of lead people in entrepreneurial activities, they say, I want you to work hard, but I also don't want you to work smart. Work harder and smarter. And we can work hard by the power of the Spirit, but we also need to work smart. And so, as we think about that, we need to be made smart by God's Word. In Ephesians 6.17, it says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And we're going to be looking at that passage in, in some weeks to come. But really, that's the tool for the Christian life. But I love that passage in Psalm 119, verses 98 and 99. You... Through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. And see, really, that puts us all on the same plane. Sometimes we think, well, you know, how, how you know, I, I'm, I'm just a new Christian, all right? There's so many people who know the Bible so much more than I do. But that doesn't mean pe those who know the Bible more than you do always use the Bible more than you do, Right? And when you are living according to God's principles and God's word, you are smarter than maybe people who have been Christians longer and maybe know a lot of information, but they're, they're not putting it in their life. And that's one reason in our small groups where we have them, because it's amazing some of the insights people will have sharing from a lot of different experiences, uh, taking God's word and, and, and giving understanding to it and, and application to it. And, and we're thinking, man, I, I should have known that. Man, I, I need to be reminded of that principle. And so God's word makes us wiser than people sometimes we put on a pedestal because it's the word of God that's authoritative, not, not the spokesman of it. It's, it's the word of God. So that by way of introduction, <laughs> this is what I wanted to say. As we think about seeing Christ in our own lives, in our church, in our homes, it begins with understanding what is our position. We're, we're in Christ and Christ is in, in us. 
What is our purpose? It's to live for God's glory and to, to, to become more like God. And if, if that's not our agenda, then we're going we're gonna to get derailed so easily. And then thirdly, where is our power? It's not in ourselves or even past experiences. It's in the Spirit of God presently. And it's in guidance by His Word. We're made strong and we're made smart by God's influence in our lives. Well, this message is given to you by the letter P, so then we have a fourth P, and this is your priority. Now we're going to speak into the God's specific instructions for us in the home. And um, if you have your Bibles, you might want to turn to Deuteronomy 6, if we have time, we'll look at Deuteronomy 6 at the end of the message. But in three verses, four verses, uh, Paul puts it pretty plainly and clearly, what he's trying to say to us. And he speaks to the children, and then, he, and then he speaks to the parents. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is what? Okay, start all over again. All right. Look at the passage there, Ephesians 6.1. It's in your outline. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Uh, it's a pretty, pretty simple uh, game plan for uh, kids. Uh, you are to obey your parents. Uh, you could put it this way very simply. It's, it's all about right action. It, it's coming to that place where you realize they're in a leadership position and you are in a position underneath them and you are to respond to them in such a way that you do what they say. Uh, I was going to... Did you read this past week about... Uh, I think her name is... Um, what is her name? I have it here. I'll just look it up. Rachel Canning, uh, you know the story about Rachel Canning? Uh, Rachel Canning uh, decided uh, that uh, she just became 18, so as an adult, she decided that she would sue her parents. You've been hearing that story? Um, and basically the reason she wanted to sue her parents or, was that she decided to leave her parents' home. The reason she left her parents' home because she simply did not want to do what her parents, what, said, asked her to do. Uh, but she wanted to be an adult, but she didn't want to have to pay the price for being an adult. And so she wanted them to pay for the rest of her schooling in a private school that her parents had sent her to. And then secondly, they want, she wanted to look ahead that, she, that they would pay for her college education. And it was all primarily because she did not want to respect the rules that were in the home. Um, it, it's inter- um, I can't even see the clock here. What time is it? Oh, we got plenty of time. All right. It, it, is that... It, it, it's interesting. Uh, the the courts decided they weren't going to they weren't going to side with her, and so she kind of lost her case. There was a part, there were a couple things that they were still trying to decide on, but they weren't going to make the parents pay for um, you know, her apartment and for her finishing off the school in the private school and her college thing. That they didn't think that was necessarily dependent upon them. And when the judge said, in terms of looking at his, says, you know. We, we start going down this slope. So what's going to happen? Is a 12-year-old going to say, I, I demand that my parents give me an Xbox and an iPhone? You know, wh- where does this stop when the courts would decide what the parents would have to do for their kids? And uh, in the details of some of the things related to the, the situation, um, she, didn't, she didn't win her court case. And then after a few days, she decided that she wanted to go back home. And, uh, and hopefully that's good news, okay? And, and there's going to be a restoration of relationship, and the parents appear to be, uh, they didn't give any promises about certain things, but they welcome her back in, and they're, and they're trying to work out. But some of the things that came out was interesting. Uh, in the court hearings, Kenny's parents 
and it's interesting, one of, was a uh, one of the parents was a retired, uh, was a retired Lincoln Park police chief, um, and, and then his wife. Uh, they, were, they were said that uh, the rules were unreasonable, but this is what they said. Uh, all we asked of our daughter that when she, before she left home, that she would abide by reasonable household rules, such as being respectful, keeping a curfew, doing a few chores, and here's probably the tough one, in ending a relationship with a boyfriend her parents said was a bad influence. She had said in her lawsuit that her parents were abusive, contributed to an eating disorder she developed, and pushed her to get a basketball scholarship. They said they were supportive helping her through the eating disorder, and paid for her to go to a private school where she would not get as much playing time in basketball as she would have at a public school, which seems to be the opposite. If she, they were pushing her to get a scholarship, they said, well, really, I think you have better education in a private school, probably, and that might ruin your athletic career. Now, obviously, I'm taking a synopsis out of a kind of a neutral place, Yahoo News, in terms of this case. But it just shows you, we are living in a culture, with, as simple as this sounds. Okay, children, you, you want to know what your job description is? Just simply obey your parents. This, this is your right action. Now, there's going to come a time you can leave the home and you can make the rules. But when they're paying, you know, the, the, the price for everything you have, what they ask you to do, I mean, if they ask you to do something illegal or immoral, yeah, obviously that. But if they're asking, you just, you just do it. This is the right action. Now, interestingly enough, God always wants to speak to our hearts, and whether we're little people or bigger people, and we're going to see that a little bit later. But not only are we called as children to obey our parents, and as long as we're... Uh, how many have parents that are still alive? Okay. Yeah, we still have that role in a little bit different thing. They're not probably marching orders to us, but we do have this second role. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And I always want to focus on that, that first word in that sentence, honor. There's right action and there's also right attitude. There is to be a place as children, not only are you to do what they ask you to do, but you're supposed to do it with what kind of an attitude? A Or just a good attitude, all right? We make it simple. Just do it with a good attitude, right? And that we say, come on, can't you do this with a good attitude? Okay, and that good attitude is one of respect and honor. And just, just do it in the, in, the, in, the, in the best possible way with not giving so much grief to us. That, that's the job description. It's interesting the word for obey. It's a different word. I want you to understand this. In terms of the role between the husband and the wife, uh, in the idea of submission, the, the the word for obey is not synonymous with submission, so sometimes it's translated that. It's a, it's a much different word. Obey here is a word of once they say it, you need to do it. And it really comes from a thing that often I know, I remember, you know, as our kids would, would uh, and, and I, I really tempted to make this a, an eight-week series on parenting, but I, I, you think I'll never get out of Ephesians, so I stopped here, is that the word to obey here comes from a word hupakuo. And akuo is the word from which we get acoustics. And hupe just intensifies the word. And really when you obey someone, you really hear what they said. And then you respond. Now, how many times as, as parents, you know, you said something, there was no response, no reaction. 
And then you said again, and then there was no response, no inaction. And then if you were like me, I said, did you hear me? Did you ever do that? Anybody try that? Did you hear me? Okay. Oh, are you speaking to me? <laughs> you know, you know it is, that's really what the obedience here is. It's saying, you heard me, now you heard me, now respond. Now, we're going to talk about the role of the parents in, in, in a moment. But the thing is, it's the idea of you, you hear what needs to be done and then simply do it. And as we think about all these models, we're all still children, right? We're children of who? God. And when God speaks, we should listen. When God speaks, we should really hear him. And we ought to respond to him. And so all this models. In fact, the home is to model the Christian life. And, and we need to have attentive ears to him. In fact, often when Jesus would talk about people who would not respond to him, they simply don't have ears to, to hear. Now, physically they did, but they didn't have a heart to hear. And as parents, we want to create that heart in the kids so they hear and want to respond. Right action, right attitude. What about parents? Uh, Ephesians 6, 4 says this. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. And then it goes on and says, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. And we're going to look at both points just for a moment. So what's the role of the parent? So, well, first of all, it's, I guess you could say it's kind of reverse order. If the first one with the children was right action and right attitude. This one is, for the parents, right attitude as well as right action. The right attitude is to begin with. Okay, you need to realize you're in a position of leadership. And this is true of, of husbands to wives as well. But as parents to kids, it's, okay, we, we don't take the, the role of leadership and, and get a puffed head about that, Okay. Leadership is about responsibility. It's influence, but it's about responsibility. Okay? Just because you are in charge, don't think that you are a, a dictator. Okay? That you're just like throwing stuff out there and people have to come to every whim of your desire. In fact, really, this was a radical statement in that, in that culture. And, and fathers, do not bring your children to wrath or frustrate them. And, and actually the word... For, parent, uh, for father can actually be translated parents, too. It's not just fathers, but primarily that responsibility is there. But it can be translated parents. It is in that day in the Roman Empire, they had a thing called patria potestas, which was father power. And in that day, fathers had absolute power. Not only absolute power, but they had absolute license to, to do whatever they want without criticism. And they could move and, sh- and, and sh- turn and shape their household however they wanted to have them serve them as demonstrably and lavishly as they wanted. And a, a couple things written from that day really speaks about that uh, particular time. Um, a man named Hilarion, <laughs> interesting, wrote to his wife Alice. Uh, it was spelled A-L-I-S in that day. Uh, but this is what, what he said. I am in Alexandria. When you have the child, so she must have been pregnant while he was, uh, after he had left. And if it is a boy, let it live. If it is a girl, throw it out. Now, the word for children here, it's the word techna, which really doesn't even just mean infant. It means children of all ages. But the father had so power, he, he, could, he could not only promote abortion, which, which is, the, which is the, the, the thing that's ravishing our country, 
But he, could, he can enact infanticide, lies outside the womb, and say, I, I don't want that one. Seneca wrote this. We slaughter a fierce ox. We strangle a mad dog. And children who are born weak and deformed, we drown. See, that was the power of fathers in that day. And, and Paul, when he said, and fathers, do not even bring your children to that point of where they get angry. They get upset with you. You frustrate them. And so radically he's speaking. Just think about it. If, if, that was, if that was the temperature of that day, and all of a sudden people came to know Jesus, and instead of throwing out weak and deformed children, they kept them. And instead of deciding, well, I want this sex, but I don't want that sex of a child. And they kept them. And they showed sacrificial love and servant toward their children. So what are you doing? You're going you're gonna to somehow mess everything up. You should rule them with an iron fist. And No, no, I'm here to serve my family. All of a sudden, people could see, they could see something's happened in that family. And all of a sudden, they found out it was Christ that was in that family. And it was radically changing. In fact, they've done some um, historical insight in terms of what, what on, a, on a sociological perspective, why Christianity just went rampant through the Roman Empire. And there's primarily two reasons. One is because the role of women was elevated to a place it had never been before. They were not treated as property, but as as, as fellow heirs of, a, of, a, of a, a kingdom they were going to. And, and, and wives were considered treasures and not just servants. And the other part is they began to see that Christians treated people with love and concern and care with, with no return for themselves. I mean, wh why, would a, why would a man in that particular age decide I want a boy rather than a girl? It wasn't, wasn't because of you know, some sporting activity. It was because, you know, he can't, she can't work in the field like maybe a boy could. And so I want more boys than, than girls. It was all about what we'll do for him. And if they were weak and deformed, well, they, they, can't, they can't do anything for me, so I don't need them. But all of a sudden, Christ came into that, that, that home environment, and people were radically different. It began with a husband's treat, uh, treating the wives so different that it was just, it was amazing. And all of a sudden the children were considered as special, as, as gifts from God, rather than just tools to be used in whatever way the father chose to do. Well, how do we frustrate or bring our children to, to wrath and anger? It doesn't mean we're always going to be popular with our kids, and we need to understand that. It's not, it's not we're always popular with our kids, but, but we aren't the, the reason in a, in a selfish way that we, that we cause them to be so um, difficult. Uh, let me just throw a few, and, I, and I'm not going to, I think most of us can figure out why, why that would be true. One, by showing favoritism. If you've got more than one, uh, you, you, there, 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 there better not be a pecking order of who's more important to you, who you love more. I mean, my, my mom was fanatic. She would count the M&Ms and make sure the colors were the same, all right? I mean, that was a little bit too radical. But I mean, you know, you ought to treat them the same. They're different, but there should be no difference in terms of your care for them. By being hypocritical. I, I think all of us have heard that, you know, don't do what I do, but do what I 
say. And, and let me, you know, kind of meddle just for a moment. You know, one thing is that, that Alice and I decided, even early, you know, as it related to um, things we would watch, if we didn't think the kids could watch them, we wouldn't watch them. If they couldn't go to that movie, we wouldn't go to that movie. If, if one of the reasons we didn't get involved, if they couldn't drink, then why would we drink? I, I, don't, I, didn't want to, I didn't want to have them do anything I was not willing to do or restrict my freedom. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't, obviously I, I work at a church, but if, if I was going to go to church, then, you know, if, they, if I wanted them to go to church, I was going to go to church. If I was going to read my Bible, if I wanted them to read the Bible, I'd read my Bible. If I was going to pray it, they are going to pray. And, you know, it, it is that you, you want to live it out. Now, you don't do it perfectly, but, but let's, let's be genuine and real. How can we frustrate our children by be, showing favoritism, by being hypocritical, by neglect? You know, my schedule... Our schedule, um, and all we all obviously as, as adults we have responsibilities, and, and, and they're monitored by our responsibilities. But looking at our free time, what do we do with our free time? Is our free time only spent on ourselves, or is it is it invested in them? Going to their games, going to their activities. You know. Also, you, you can go the other side by, by spoiling them. You know, if I told you I'm a, I'm a grandparent yet, yeah, okay. Uh, and and there, there's a, and I just love spending time. I had a chance to Friday just to spend time with Hannah and just play with her. And, uh, I, and every, so you're going to spoil your daughter, your granddaughter. And, and I'm going to be generous with my granddaughter, but my desire is not to spoil her. And I want to make heroes of her parents. I, I want it to be that place where they're secure and love there, but and I'm gonna, I want to be generous, but I do not want to spoil. And the other one, by being selfish. And that's just a catch-all. If none of those else hit you, where in our lives are we being selfish as it relates to our kids? Real quickly. Not only are we to uh, not frustrate our children by provoking them to wrath, we need to realize that we have a role. And in New King James it says, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Uh, those are words that, uh, uh, New American Standard says that bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the, of, of the Lord. And there's a place that, and I put it this way, and there are strong words, you are to physically discipline and verbally teach. Uh, there's a lot of controversy now about, about uh, corporal punishment or spanking or whatever it might be. And I, I think spanking at times can be can be rarely used, but let me tell you, it ought to be part of your tool bag as a parent. There's nothing wrong with physical punishment. And the reason I say that is because the Proverbs is full of that. Now, that, that's counterculture today. That, and even in the church now, I mean, you, you talk about spanking, people think you're talking about abusing physically your children. It, it is all right to spank your children. And in case you're not really sure about that, I, I put one verse there, but let me tell you some more. Uh, and... He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Proverbs 3.11 says, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. Proverbs 10.13 says, Wisdom is found in the lips of him who has understanding, but a rod is for the back of him who is devoid of understanding. Proverbs 22.15, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of correction will drive it from him. 
Proverbs 23, 13 says, Do not withhold correction from a child, for if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. And obviously the idea is you're not beating your kid to physically harm them. But interesting, in verse 23, verse 14, it says this, You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. Is there a possible reason why our culture does not want to have any spanking in our homes? The Bible says that the rod is a corrective tool to bring the fear of God or the fear of consequences in a person's life. You know, you can check out any of my kids. They haven't been physically abused. But there was an opportunity to, well, you have to be careful how you check them out. But anyway, is that... Uh, the one thing with spanking is, is that it gives immediate consequence to an action. And sometimes that's protecting the child. If they're going to touch something that's burning, you know, you can, you can maybe, you know, take something to slap their hands. They realize, you know, don't touch that because there's pain involved in that. And, and again, I think spanking can be rare, but it, we, don't, we should not buy into everything our culture is saying. And, and again, you should, never, you should never discipline in anger. I don't care what form of it, whether it's time out or whether it's whatever it might be. You, you, need, a, you need never to, to discipline in anger. But there is a place where, where physically we teach kids the consequences of actions. The, the other part of this is it says, and bring them up in the instruction or admonition of the Lord. And that's verbal teaching. And there ought to be teaching, you know, obviously at church, but there ought to be teaching in the home. Uh, we don't have time to look this up, but in Proverbs 4.23, it talks about that we ought to be careful to be diligent to, to uh, allow uh, instruction to come from the heart. In Deuteronomy chapter 6.4-8, four through eight, which is the, the great Shema passage, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Which is interesting when the greatest teaching on bringing up children begins with the word hear, which is the idea of obeying. Obey the Lord your God, for he is one. And if I were to give you simple things about that, teach your children the truths about God. There's one God. There aren't many gods. We're not trying to get people to believe in supreme power. And, of course, that's the main goal of any parent is to bring your child to Christ. We're not trying to just get moral kids or compliant kids. Just because a kid isn't compliant doesn't mean they get it. You, we want them to understand that they are a sinner just like anybody else. They need a Savior and they need a Lord. Teach your kids the truth about God. Teach your children to love God. And teach your children to obey God. What's the point this morning? I guess the point of this is it's one thing for us to hear it. It's one thing for us to apply it. And it begins with remembering this. You know, make, it, make it a goal this week. Uh, this goal, what is my position? What is my purpose? Where is my power? What are my priorities? And if you don't have children at home, just read Deuteronomy chapter 6. Basic Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 8, speaks about everywhere you go, live it out. Just make it part of who you are. Because that's when, that's when people really see Christ in your life. Let's pray. So I pray that somewhere in this message, it really touches down to where you can have it applied to our lives. Help us to see the application for where we need to, to live in such a way that, that we're desiring to live it out moment by moment. 
And Father, if there be anyone here this morning that doesn't know you, might they just say, Christ, I want to be in you and I want you to be in me. I give you my life. I surrender myself to you. Now, Father, as we continue to, to worship you by giving and, and by singing unto you, might you speak into our hearts. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.